Hello, and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and this is a recording that uh, Father Chuck will be reacting off of. Uh-huh. Pause for effect. Uh-huh. Oh, that is really funny, yeah. No, why would you do that? <laughs> Hey, uh, I, I was realized looking at myself in the in the corner laughing at this. Yeah. Uh, have you seen um, our benefactor, uh, Mike, yeah. and his amazing new computer monitor that he got? I haven't. He posted it on Facebook the other day. It's funny. Like I, 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 I don't think really... we're Facebook friends. Um, but that's oh, not okay. that's not because of anything personal, Mike. That is because uh, I try to avoid Facebook as much as possible. <laughs> right, and that's what's funny is so do I. Like I, I I only go on Facebook to post links to church stuff that I do. Right. Yeah. And I happen to be on yesterday because I'm I have to I'm trying to make counts of like how many people tune into our online stuff at church, and I went on and I the first thing was greeted was you know, this picture of him, this enormous, like one of those curved monitors that he got Ooh, like as a Christmas present. And nice. I'm like, and I only bring this up because I'm like, Mike. Bro, you've got to take a picture of what we look like on this thing. <laughs> it's just like a little box in the corner. Like this is this is as good as it gets, guys. Sorry, <laughs> we're like my the Scream DVD, like it. the Scream DVD that I that I watched over Halloween oh. from the library. It's just like <laughs> I put it on this big beautiful monitor, and it's literally this little box in the center screen. I'm like, what the heck is this? It's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, I I um. I, the other funny thing is great. I go on the only, and then the the only other time that I've been on Facebook, I happen to see that you and this guy Ben are talking about me. Oh yeah, that's our that's one of our fans, Ben. Um, yeah, yeah. He uh, he. He's like, imagine how Chuck's gonna freak out about like virtual reality <laughs> avatar, and I was like, you guys talk about me. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's a big fan of ours. He he's the only one who comments on our videos on YouTube, uh, which I I appreciate greatly. Uh, and he is the one who coined the term, uh, well, he didn't coin occasional Matt, but he did say occasionally Matt in a post when he was, uh, promoting us on his Facebook. Yeah. Uh, and when That's he, right. he, he made the joke of like, he said, like, he said that it was like JP, father Chuck and occasionally Matt. And I told you about that post and like, right. well, what if we just called Matt occasional Matt? So like he, 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 he's responsible for, uh, Matt's awesome. moniker. See, I feel I feel so weird because like anymore. I mean, we'll we'll get into it because this is sort of related to what we're going to talk about, right? Because social media is really to blame for everything, and right. mm -hmm. I I like avoiding. I, I took all social media other than our Signal account off of my phone, so I don't have Messenger on my phone anymore. I don't have Instagram on my phone anymore. I don't have Facebook on my phone anymore. Mm -hmm. And those are the only things I have. I've never. You will never. I shouldn't say never, but you will probably never see me on that god awful TikTok. <laughs> um, yeah. It is a play. Well, you don't know. You're not. You're not a great dancer anyway, so I wouldn't really expect that. Um, you don't know. <laughs> I will say, yeah, I have yeah, a friend who's an Episcopal priest. He's young, much. He's young, much younger than me, and he does campus ministries in Texas. And that dude, that dude has 
TikTok down pat, like as a priest. Like he is doing incredible work using TikTok as like an outreach thing for for people. Nice. And I look at it like that's his that's his age. It's cool. I don't have to be there. I don't have to be there. He can do yeah. that. Right. Right. It scares me sometimes. Sometimes I feel like there there are times where I'm like kind of. I'm really unhappy that we don't have like thousands of, of like subscribers and listeners and people commenting and stuff. But if the other, on the other hand, I feel like it would be so overwhelming mm-hmm. um, because I've I've watched YouTube videos and listened to podcasts of people who do like okay in the realm of content creation. You know, they're better than us, but they're not like you know you know they're not up there. But they 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 do all right, and even the ones who do all right are like, it, I have to get rid of my phone. All my faith in humanity is gone from all the all the crap people tell me, like just for saying yeah. innocuous stuff. Yeah, it's like the articles coming out about like female game reviewers who gave Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven like a less than perfect review, and oh, they're God, like yeah. all being like threatened. Yeah, that's been insane. about a game that nobody has played yet. A game that is, I'm hearing, sort of overrated. Brian Collins of uh, former Birth Movies Death fame said that it's uh this year's no man's sky yeah i could see that because i mean they've been i mean i've watched videos about that about that game since what 2013 so they've been working on it for a really long time and you know when you work on something that long and you're you know putting information in front of people about it all the time it really creates like a hype that you're never really going to be able to live up to and of course, with that kind of hype and having to live up to that, means that you have to like create like horrible conditions for your workers to crunch, right? I read about uh, yeah. that. Yeah, that's like every video game these days. This is actually like this would be a good topic, probably to have Father Fun back on, just to sort of talk about like the the the, the ethics and culture of video game making, right? Like all yeah. the stuff that goes on behind the scenes with it, and and with the corporate culture and all that, and you know, and the thing about like. You know, this whole thing, you, you need you want people to turn over their 60 bucks to you. Right. And mm-hmm. and so you've got to hype this thing and keep it in front of people. And all it does, is it just creates these, I mean, just immense expectations. And and then but it, but it, then it devolves into this weird, almost like like sports team kind of mentality where because you've been following the development for so long and hyped it up in your head so much, you've sort of like. Stockholm syndrome yourself into believing that this thing is perfect and awesome and it has to be. And so like, even, even if it is, you know, you don't want to face the, the, the idea that it could be like mediocre. Cause that means all that, all that effort was like, it was like in vain. Right. 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 (laughs) Right. Which, you know, happens to coincide with some other things that we're seeing in our world right now when, you know, lots of people hype something big and it doesn't turn out the way they wanted. And so now they Ooh. burn cities. Are you are you talking about Wonder Woman 1984 or? <laughs> yeah, I'm not really exactly. sure. I'm not, I'm not quite. Though I've heard that's actually very good. <laughs> Everything I've seen says really good. I haven't <laughs> heard a thing, actually, to be honest. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot's happened since we've been gone. I guess maybe we should kind of address, hey, we're back. <laughs> Right. Well, let's see. what, what Sorry was our last that. episode? What was our last episode? Scream. When was that? It's Halloween. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, we took a week off cuz it's like, hey, the election's happening. We're just going right. to take a little, little 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 hiatus and let things kind of die down a little bit. To be fair, <laughs> the election just ended Monday. <laughs> Painfully true. There was a time when I think conspiracy theories were uh fun. 
mm-hmm. it was something you kind of indulged because we didn't have found footage movies or uh, ARGs or, you know, that kind of stuff to where it's like you can escape from reality a little bit. Maybe like warp your reality some. Maybe make yourself believe for a minute that there there might be a bat boy. The last 2013, uh, a whole three 2013s ago, um, we talked about... The Galactic Federation of Light, which has been in the news recently. Gosh, I, I probably should have listened to that episode before we did, because I don't remember, like, how are we talking about aliens and stuff? We weren't really indulging, but we were kind of like, isn't this kind of fun and crazy and weird? Yeah, I think we, 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 we talked a little bit more. I think we were more into, like, the culture of the alien like the alien UFO people, right? Like the culture of it. Cause like, that's right. like, you know, and then I know, did a whole bit like... where I was like, I might be joining a cult. Uh... Yeah. 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 <laughs> Here's the thing. Maybe they put, maybe they put those monoliths up everywhere. That has to be it. Like maybe, maybe it's... this actually is. Cause I, I remember reading something that was like, Oh, well the monolith was definitely built by people. Why do we assume that? Okay. Like, yeah, they might have faster than light speed travel, but they still got to use rivets. The point is, there was a time when conspiracy theories was it was just kind of like a fun thing to do. I was just watching a, a clip from a movie the other day uh, made by uh, 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 Richard Linklater uh, from Austin, Texas, who made movies like Days, Days to Confuse, uh, the Before Trilogy, uh, School of Rock. He made a little independent film called um, uh, A Scanner Darkly, which mm-hmm. is sort of like a, a cel-shaded kind of conspiracy yeah. theory, kind of paranoid thriller movie with Keanu Reeves, Robert Downey Jr., Winona Ryder. My is parents. it based on a Philip K. A Philip K. Dick book? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. And there's a scene with Alex Jones standing on a street corner, like next to like a Burger King or something, yelling through a megaphone. Look around you! Look how far we've come! Humanity wasn't meant to live like this! Our every waking moment tracked and traced and scanned! It's time to stop submitting to this tyranny! So he's doing his shtick on the megaphone. Keanu Reeves is just walking by. And a black van pulls up. It's time to realize that we're being enslaved. Uh-oh, it's our tax dollars at work. Protect us from ourselves. Hey, guys, I used to be one of you. Stop selling out your own species. Been like guys dressed in black with guns, like, kidnap Alex Jones, and they drop off with him. It's kind of funny. And, like, that's... that's And I also remember around... A few years later, I was working at uh, a cool little film festival in dallas and we actually tried to get alex jones in our festival just because we thought it would be funny and he was quirky not dangerous now though um um i don't i don't know if if i can really capture like the 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 magnitude of of damage that conspiratorial thinking has done just within the past four years yeah I mean, you think about, right, the, the kind of person you're talking about, the kind of conspiracy thing that we're talking about here, like that when it was, you know, kind of like fun, is we're talking about, like, what the character of Dale from King of the Hill. Yeah, yeah. I sure hope my new driver's license finally shows up. I hear the new security holograms are outstanding. Maybe that's what's holding things up. I'll tell you why your license is taking so long. The U.S. Postal Service is bogged down in the most elaborate PSYOPs campaign in history. First, they fatten us up with all those two-for-one pizza coupons. Then when we're too logy to put up a fight, 
They sell us off to the Red Cross, who removes our kidneys, which go back on the pizzas to start the process all over again. Howdy, Hank. You got something from the Department of Public Safety. My driver's license. We were just talking about that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't forget you, Mr. Gribble. How did you know my name? Actually, we can trace this whole thing with a very particular, with, with one individual. And that individual is Randy Quaid. <laughs> yeah. So Randy Quaid in Independence Day. Right. You know, goofy guy. Everybody sort of rolls their eyes to the fact that he believes in, you know, aliens. And then now we've got Randy Quaid today. Um, he became his character. Kind of follows what's happened in our culture, right? Like it yes. started with this sort of quirky, like, I'm not sure that I really believe they landed on the moon. And you're sort of like, okay, well, whatever. And then it turned into... Well, there's like the 9-11 9-11 was an inside yeah. job. Like, loose change came out, and everybody was like, including including us, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, I don't know, guys. This is actually kind of uh, kind of raising some interesting points and, and whatnot. And then you take it to the next level, and now it's like InfoWars. And now it's, you know, it's all... Now it's, you know, all of this stuff that suddenly is like everything that you believe is not true. And it just sort of... Instead of being this thing of like, maybe you don't, you know, like, like you don't trust the government because they don't tell you all the truth. Okay, fine, whatever. They have secrets that we're not privy to. We sort of assume that for most of our lives. But now it's like, that becomes like your ontological identity. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're going to get into this, right? This whole idea that it goes beyond just like, oh, maybe they know some stuff that we don't know. One day, maybe we'll find out something that we were a secret to. But now it becomes like, it's not only is it a not only is it like we can't trust them, but we actually have to actively arm ourselves and try to overthrow them because they're not telling us everything or or whatever. And even that the verifiable facts are in front of you. Right. Yeah. And you're and you're and you're basically trying to shoot holes like in it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I I wish we had the time to just like parse everything about conspiracy theory and the thinking behind and the psychology behind it, <laughs> but we just don't have that kind of time. Yeah, but um, we can. But, but I think, but we can. I think I think we can talk a little bit about ourselves. Right. Yeah. Right. Because mm -hmm. like I can talk about me and like how I spent I spent seriously probably about three years totally buying the loose change narrative. It's interesting you bring that because I um I did two for a little bit. But I, I am interested, Chucky. Uh, uh, well, what is sort of your relationship with uh, conspiracy theories and stuff? There, you say there was a time when you kind of bought into the loose change thing, and well, I mean, you know, I'm I'm a kid who grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries. You know, I Ditto. I grew up with you know, the most terrifying theme song of all time. I, uh, you know, so and then I've always been the one. I think I mentioned this back in the uh, the Galactic Federation episode, where you know, whenever there were UFO. UFO documentary marathons on History Channel. Like, I'm going to sit down and watch. Like, I'm just a sucker for, you know, some guy's over-the-shoulder VHS cam photo of, you know, blurbs, you know, blobs in the sky and just mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And, you know, like, I just, I'm a sucker for that. And I, I sort of, I sort of always, I still to some degree want to believe that a UFO crashed in Roswell and <laughs> that the government has kept it secret for various reasons. Um, you know, maybe the aliens asked to be, they don't want everyone to know about us, right? Who, why does it have to be nefarious? Maybe the aliens are like, hey, bro, we're just, we, we, we're, we want to be on the down low here. This was an accident. <laughs> we just, you know. Um, but, you know, so like, I, I mean, I do kind of in general believe that there might very well be alien life that has, you know, I mean, I'll put it this way. Where I currently stand with it is if I found out that 
like all these UFO videos that are being filmed by like F-18 pilots and stuff. Like if we find out that those are actually aliens, I, I won't be surprised. Right. Like I just won't be surprised. That's the point where I'm at right now. But I'm not like looking, but I'm also at the point of like, eh, we'll probably find out that it's some sort of experimental aircraft or misidentified piece of space debris. And, you know, we're going to be like, oh, man, you because you have critical thinking skills and it's healthy to use them like that. Right. But yeah, but that, I like that thing with like loose change. I'll tell you, here's what happened with loose change. So I watched loose change for those listeners who don't know what loose change is. It was this documentary documentary. I've got quotes going up that was made by a group of 20 year olds. I found yeah. out the guy was like 21 when he made this thing. Yeah. Basically questioning the, uh, the, 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 the media narrative about nine 11. And I think raised some very interesting questions around, you know, like, you know, about like why like the airplane did like things with the Pentagon and stuff like that. Just very interesting questions that, you know, I, I mean, I still think would be like, I, I still don't know that we're getting the entire full story, but obviously mm -hmm. right for national security, you're not going to get the full and entire story. Like that's just sort of right. what we understand with the Pentagon. Um, but what this documentary was made to do was to, you know, was to basically was to say, it was an inside job perpetuated by the Bush administration in order to, it seems like the conclusion that they came to was to steal gold. <laughs> if I remember correctly, cause there was like an armored car full of gold in like the lower level of like world trade center seven. I don't remember. And yeah, but like they, but I guess that's ultimately they really never gave like a point to it other than maybe I guess to consolidate power. Oh no, that's right. I take it back. They used that neocon magazine that said that, you know, what America needs is a new Pearl Harbor in order to sort of unify us as a country, right? We need this oh. conflict in order to give us a common national identity. Right. And also to invade Iraq and take out the oil, right? Like that's right. And that was part of it, but that was kind of more Michael Moore's thing. But, yeah. um, but, but yeah, that documentary came out and like Mike, I think like, Mike, well, good point. Let's compare it to Michael Moore real quick. Michael Moore's, you know, Fahrenheit 9-11, I think did a really good job of showcasing how, you know, these private military contractors that were working within the government were looking for an excuse to like do what they need to do to make money. Right. Like that's mm -hmm. just like, I think like you can, you can see a very plausible thing right there of like, you know, maybe intelligence knows something's going to happen. We're going to let it happen because we can benefit from it. Right. Yeah, right. Versus. I'm actually going to perpetuate it against people. And not only that, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the Pentagon, but I'm also going to take down, I'm going to hit the Pentagon with some kind of weapon. That I'm going to make it look like an airplane. And then I'm going to take down the world trade center. Yeah. But with a controlled explosion that I installed in the building the night before. Right. And then I'm also going to like make an airplane vanish and like all the passengers and stuff vanish. Like they just didn't exist, like cart them off to a camp or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's like when you start sort of putting the whole thing together and to try to make it a cohesive narrative, you realize it falls apart because there's too many moving parts and there's no way that that is a sustainable secret to keep. And so like right there at that point, again, critical thinking skills. Once I sort of put it all together, I was like, yeah, there's no way that this thing all together could work. The idea of raising some questions about little things here and there being like, oh, OK, well, you know, there's like you know, the difference between like steel beams and steel reinforced concrete and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's an interesting conversation where you can learn something out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think it was actually standing in line at the DMV where I was like, there's no way 9-11 <laughs> could have happened because this is what government this is what the government <laughs> looks like. Right? It's, all, it's all bureaucracy and people like making like, you know, really not good money. <laughs> right. Yeah. And also. Um, when when the big conspiracies are revealed, it's usually like smaller scale stuff. Yeah, that's like kind of gone out of control, and that's how we found out about it because it got out of control. Well, like Watergate. Yeah, 
Right. Watergate or even like was... MK Ultra, you know? Like Yeah, well I think it's funny that Watergate, you know, they they affix gate to every scandal, right? And like every like they treat Watergate as though it's like this big like what was it? They were just trying to get like a voting registry out of like the Democratic headquarters. I think so. Right? Yeah. I'm it actually when you look at what they were doing, it was student. fairly tame in comparison to what like we sort of hype up you know, these scandals to be the fallout of Watergate was that people no longer trusted government, right? Like right. that arguably opened up this space that we're talking about now, but it was such a, again, relatively minor thing compared to the other stuff that's going on now that it's kind of almost quaint that we would take that as seriously as we did. Whereas now it's like, if whatever they did at Watergate found out, somebody would just be like, ah, you know, well, that's just how politics is. So that's the extent of sort of your, 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 your conspiratorial thinking. That's that's yeah, where it sort of, of ended. Yeah, the my the extent of my conspiratorial my conspiratorial thinking is, I'm sure that there are secrets out there. There are things out there that I don't know, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Right. <laughs> I don't think it's nefarious. I think like, I actually think if if there are aliens and we find out like the reason that the government didn't tell us, we're probably going to be like, that's the stupidest reason. <laughs> like right. it's not going to be like, oh, we're actually partnering with them so we can like eat children or anything like that it's more like well yeah they just crashed their ship in new mexico they were sort of embarrassed by it and so they just asked us really nicely to just like not hey just be whatever. cool okay like just be cool we made a mistake guys you know I, I i i don't know that i ever like got like super into like conspiracy stuff i'm trying to think really hard if there was ever a time at my most conservative uh if there was like some kind of I don't. I don't think there is. I, but there, there was a very brief moment, a hot minute, as the kids say. I watched the Zeitgeist documentary and Loose Change, and I think the how I kind of snapped out of it was like, well, why, why aren't you doing anything about it? <laughs> like, well, and it's like they, they, and they always had answers, like because well, we've become so pacified, we're just a bunch of sheeple, you know what I mean? And then I started kind of thinking, like, kind of capitalist about it, you know. Because these were my, my more more capitalist days, where I was like, I kind of feel like you're just doing this to make money. What if this is the conspiracy theory? Mm-hmm. Like, you're just making this up so that like I fall into this weird state, and then like I have to come to you for more information. But then you're going to be like, Oh no, that'll be five dollars, sir. Hey, it's Facebook, and, and it's like, yeah, exactly. And it's like, why are you doing that and not doing like what every activist and revolutionary would do once they find out the government's corrupt but aren't they kind of doing that now well (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're yeah pizzagate uh the cars running into crowds uh yeah that kind of stuff but even then even then like why is there not like a like okay it's like i'm watching these youtube videos i got millions of views and like millions of comments of people like saying this is real i'm like why why is no one actually doing anything and I think right. that's I guess, that's that I, that was I, the unraveling for me, which is right. like that, so the point and the point to you be the point I think that you're trying to make is is that that means that on some level everyone realizes it's not real. Yeah, that this is some because way to pacify yourselves in, in some weird way. Yeah, it's it's entertainment. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, we may have cracked it, dude, because it's all about the lulls, right? <laughs> right. It's all about the lulls. And it's also it kind of goes hand in hand with like I because this started happening to me around the same time. The, the South Park episode about 9-11 Trutherism came out mm-hmm. where um, we took a duke in the urinal. Was it that one? Because it's one I just imagine it was like George W. Bush and his cabinet like mm, glorious money. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
and then like they they like execute the conspiracy theorist nerd and then the kids see him the next day like eating a hot dog and, and like the conspiracy theory is that it's a conspiracy yeah 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 like, yeah. yeah that's how it ends yeah that's what uh bush being like oh well, you know we thought you you know you guys think we're lame but now you think we're cool and scary <laughs> yeah it just turns out they're lame right well that's what i told you okay so let's 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 get to what we're really going to get here which is this idea that it like becomes a religion right and that it is in fact rooted in this cult around the 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 outgoing president of the united states and yeah it's right like well like there was a great point that was made on snl recently where um they showed a clip where he was talking where where trump was talking about this being you know the he, the election was stolen from him and it was this corruption. It's corruption at the highest levels of government, he says. Mm-hmm. Corruption at the highest levels of government. I think it was Colin Jost who goes, you are the highest level of government. <laughs> this whole notion that he's fighting some kind of fight. Right. Well, and, and we're talking specifically, I mean, you're talking specifically about QAnon. which Not is the, necessarily just QAnon. Well, because QAnon is, is based around the idea that Trump is in like a, a forever war. With behind this, with a behind the scenes cabal of child eaters, made right. up of Democrats, globalists. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a globalist is, uh, we used to call them world bankers. And before they called them world bankers, they called them Jews. The Jews. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the, that, the... You gotta have the article on there. <laughs> right. Uh, but but what what I'm getting at is is that so that that's the idea of QAnon is that he's he's fighting the globalists behind the scenes and that he's letting go, he's he's also releasing messages into the ether of uh, that sh- that shows of the evidence that he is uh, that that the storm is coming and the storm is basically all these people are one day are going to, there's going to be like a mass arrest. Mm-hmm. That's when Which... Hillary finally goes to jail, right? Being that it's Advent uh, in the Christian calendar right now, I, at my church I'm doing a series. Um, Advent Advent is um, both rooted in looking toward the time when Jesus was born, but also looking forward to the time of his return. So there's an apocalyptic element to Advent, and like proper Christian apocalypse, not this premillennial dispensationalist version of apocalypse that's sort of invented. Which is like left behind stuff. Like- yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, so, so I, I mentioned that because I'm, I'm just sort of mired in a bunch of apocalyptic stuff right now. And I just, just before I started recording, I was doing, I was finishing up my study for my, uh, for my online class, um, this today, um, on, um, the apocalypse is the, the Jesus gives in the gospels. And because he gives in, in, in Mark, Matthew and Luke, he gives apocalypses. And basically what you just described about this idea that the storm is coming and that whole thing, like that's an apocalyptic notion. Mm-hmm. Right. That right. here's this event that's going to happen and then all the truth is going to be laid out. Right. And that's like, you know, it's the final judgment. Right. The, these people are going to receive their judgment and then their punishment. Right. It's it's an apocalyptic statement. Mm-hmm. And so that gets into, you know, where we're where, where really inspired to talk about this is that this is now actually a religion. It d- Definitely. And, and I think a lot of people are I mean, if you look at the, some of the the symbolism that this particular, you know, conspiracy theory uses, um, you know, they use words like the Great Awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know the storm, and also there's a a, a kind of of motto: um, "Don't worry, trust the plan." Right. Which just means like you just had to watch, you just had to sit back right. and watch everything unfold. Which is what Jesus says in the Gospels, where he was like, you know, 
Oh, if, if 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 someone says I'm the Christ or someone says, oh, the Christ is over there, don't listen to them because that, that 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 you know, false Christs have to come before I return. Rather, you know, take the lesson from the fig tree when it's you know, leaves are in the you know when the leaves are on the branches and you know spring is near. So keep watch, right. keep watch. Right. It's, so again, it's this it's it's it, it piggybacks on this religious thinking that's common um, in a lot of way in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of sucking in the evangelicals, right? Like it's, I mean, yeah. hook, line, and sinker. Anyone who sort of identified as even kind of like vaguely Christian on the right has been really pulled in by this. And it's echoed throughout, not just, you know, these sort of online circles, but also in more serious media outlets, Fox News, even CNN sometimes. I don't have any verifiable information, but I know that like, I mean, there, there are now politicians who are QAnon believers who, who are now in Congress. Right. Um, and, and, you know, even Trump like retweets lots of stuff that originate in Q and the way these things kind of reverberate, uh, they don't all come from Q, I guess, but like, it, it's just created a culture of conspiracism. Yeah. I mean, I, but here's the thing is, I don't think it created it though. It's piggybacked off of something that was already there. Like it's, it's, it's working on momentum, right? That's because, true. you know, cause I mean, I think you can draw a pretty straight line between, um, well, between moon landing denialism to climate uh, change, Kennedy assa- well, well, sorry, Kennedy assassination yeah. conspiracies, you know, moon landing denialism, which are closely, you know, close to each other, to you know, nine eleven, you know, denialism, mm-hmm. you know, birtherism was part of it. That's true, right? Yeah. But what it all comes down to is that you've got. You know, you've got certain people that buy it, and then it becomes sort of a pop culture acceptance, and then you've got somebody who's able to capitalize it and bring more people in with it, and it creates and it creates a snowballing effect, like you're talking about now, where you can just sort of get roped into it if you had nothing to do with it, because, you know, you said some certain phrase, and now somebody has memed you, and mm-hmm. now you've been co-opted by their movement. <laughs> yeah, right? and it's it's, um, it's crazy to see how it how it becomes so like normalized. Uh, Tucker Carlson did a whole segment on George Soros. Right. Uh, which I'm like, well, first of all, that's probably just because like, he's trying to get his audience back. Like, <laughs> but seeing things like that and then just seeing like the whole, like I actually followed, I try not to watch TV news um, because I find it like just exhausting. Uh, but I actually followed pretty, pretty heavily um, these, these lawsuits and let me tell you something, man. You want to talk about like normalizing conspiracy theories? It was it was actually quite bizarre to see someone stand like in a pulpit in front of an audience on live television, say things that they believe that sound like really outlandish, and then read official documents. Of them saying the exact the exact opposite the very next day in court, <laughs> and you could show both of these things to somebody who might be a supporter of a kind, and it's just eh, whatever, right? Oh, they're playing the game. You know, they got to do what they got to do. Yeah, yeah. This is like what it's come to. This is what it's mm-hmm. created. That we can now clearly see the seams. We can now clearly see the cracks. But it doesn't matter, right? Where that which gets into the the cognitive dissonance piece that you know that people in cults experience, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, like I think about um, you got to think about um, 
Harold Camping, right? I got a, I got a little personal relationship with, you know, a little, little relation with Harold Camping. If you remember, if you remember him, he was the guy who said the world was going to end on, um, on uh, May twenty first, two thousand eleven. Which happened to be my wedding day. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. That's why I say I have a personal relationship with Old Harold. Which you had and in Washington is... D.C., which was that was fun. That was a fun trip for me that I got to witness yeah. both your wedding and and the rapture. It was amazing. Right, and yeah, like it was supposed to have this, and then it didn't happen. I mean, we haven't and, like, heard of him since then, Chuck. You know, well, he died. Oh, oh well, he was old. He's like ninety something years old. He died, but he uh, but he did predict again after that, and right. people are just sort of like okay, and they just went with him. Like yeah. you know, this kind of stuff happens. So. There's an element to, and, and if you read through, like, because I, I read all this apocalyptic stuff all the time anyway, if you look through the history of like doomsday prophets and, and all of that, like, that's been a part of American culture since its beginning. And even before, I mean, it goes back to Europe and stuff before even anyone came over, any, any white people came over here. But um, it's so I think that this, what we're experiencing now, is just the new version of something that's been around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. You know, which is that idea of, well, here's the thing they don't want to tell you. Right. Right. And and I told you, I see I see a connection with this between the rise in Gnosticism that was super popular toward the end of the Roman Empire. And I think that and that makes me wonder, it makes me wonder if this is sort of like a necessary component of the ends of empires, you know, because Gnosticism exists in a very, you know, we, we, people are sort of familiar with, you know, so-called Christian Gnosticism, but there was mm-hmm. various types of Gnosticism, and Gnosticism was this, were, were part of these mystery cults that were predicated in this idea that here's this particular kind of obscure religion, but the the sort of public face of it is not the real version. There's this other version behind it, and that's the true version. Right. And within within Christian Gnosticism, it plays off really strongly with like elements you see in the gospel of Mark, right? Cause Mark has this famous thing called the Mark in secret where, you know, Jesus, Jesus sort of leaves like the wider audience in the dark. And then he pulls his disciples aside and is like, well, here's what's really going on. Um, and, and so like they build off this and say like, Oh, then that means that, you know, maybe Jesus had even more secrets that he told to individual disciples. And so like, then you get like gospel of Thomas or gospel of Judas and all these things that exist at, out in that time period, you know, late second century, early third century, um, claiming that they have the real, the real teachings and the real ideas. Right. Um, and that to me sounds a lot like what we've got going on here. Right. Cause Gnosticism was also apocalyptic. Right. You know, and that makes sense because the Roman Empire was literally falling apart around them. They saw, you know, the Visigoths and others beginning their moves to like sack the cities and, and, and you know, everything's collapsing under its own weight. And and so, like, you know, they're trying to make sense of this world. And rather than look at it as either the, you know, this is the, the coming home to roost of abuses and things happening when you sort of see your identity as the center of the universe and the ones who brought, you know, enlightenment to the world. So when you see yourself as like the people who brought enlightenment and technology and advancement to the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And then now suddenly like the, you know, the people that are outside your empire who actively rejected it are now able to destroy it. Like you look at it as like, there's something else going on. It can't just be mundane result of, you know, decadent leadership and bureaucracy. It's got to have like, it's got to have this deeper meaning. There's got to be this deeper thing going on behind the scenes. And so like, and, and, and then it gets like almost like that sports fanaticism mindset of like, you know, this is my team and I've got to hold on to them and I've got to believe in them more than just like, 
oh, I prefer what they're saying. It's it it's mm-hmm. it's got to have substance, you know, of a of a of a sort of cosmic significance, right? And so like that's what we're seeing right now, you know. And you know, we we talk about Trump, right? In as as the the figure in this, but it really it's it, you could put anyone in that place. It doesn't. Yeah, he it, just entertained it so much. So much of it was like fed into his ego. Well, it's like I like I was telling like I, I was kind of talking to you a little bit way back when is and this got me kind of thinking about it when we were first when I first brought up Trump, which is this idea like going back to the George Bush thing, right from South Park, where you know he's you know pointing out like oh you know we're actually boring and we want you to think that we're way like cooler and scarier than we really are. Right. See what I think happened is I think I think you know I think Trump Trump played off of this conspiratorial element and you know and by him playing off it he gave it some legitimacy so that people who normally dismiss it are like oh maybe there's something to this mm-hmm. um and then what happened was he won and he got to be president and then he learned a very valuable lesson about the presidency which is that it is absolutely incredibly boring because it is just nothing but board meetings yeah 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 right like I've been an administrator. I know what administration is like. It's boring. You're sitting in meetings all the time. Like, you know, I've, you know, I've got family members who work for, who work for government and I know what they do and it's all meetings. It's all they do is sit in meetings. You're not fighting shadowy evil people and you're not wielding, like you don't have like the decadence of like, you know, empires and all this kind of stuff. Like he really wanted, right. He, it's boring. And that explains why he's not doing it. Like why he delegated off all these responsibilities, <laughs> underlings and stuff, because it's boring and he doesn't want to do it. And it makes sense because nobody wants to do it. That's why it's a dedicated thing for the people who want to do it. Like they make up their career ambitions to do it because they want to sit in board meetings. But so, um, and so what I think is what he found out is that politics and like the daily running of the government is actually way, is not sexy, is not tantalizing it's boring and so now the now this whole other piece like he's got to keep playing it up and giving the appearance of like yeah this is what's going on here like yeah we're really fighting the shadowy villains behind the scenes and you know i'm fighting for you to do blah 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 because it makes it sound way more exciting than it really is Mm -hmm. that's why they did those rallies right like that's more exciting to him than a board meeting it's totally more exciting than a board meeting (laughs) Yeah, like objectively true, <laughs> um, you know, campaigning is the fun part of the presidency. Yeah, it's not the you know, the, it's not the actual, like, you know, if there's anything that's been proven throughout all this is that he doesn't want to do the actual work, like take mm-hmm. away all this other stuff. Right. And I'm not trying to get too much into politics in the sense of like, you know, where it's about the the, the sort of external aspects of part, po- political partisanship. I'm talking about like the actual like just nuts and bolts work of governance. And it's clear that he doesn't want to do that right? because like this is the thing that sort of boggled me in this whole this whole election thing is he's, you know, touting these conspiracies against himself and like really feeding up this idea of the conspiracy. But at the same time, he's not like you look at his schedule, and he does nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why do you want this? You're not doing it now. Like you, you have the job now and you're not doing it. That, ultimately, what we're you know, what this gets into is this whole idea that. You know, it becomes this personality thing, and it's re- revolting, or, you know, revolving around this particular personality. And so now, like, I mean, the rally, the rally is a church service, right? It's got a litany, it's got a liturgy. You know, I mean, you know, he treats it more like a comedian, like a, you know, sort of like a comedian on tour, a speaking tour, right? He's got his greatest hits that he puts out. It's like a concert, mm-hmm. but for the true believer types, it's more than just that, right? It's more than just, you know, adulation and praise. It's it's sacramental. Yeah. You know, well, and the tweet, and the tweet. 
oh my gosh, they love the tweet. Oh my gosh. That's, that's receiving the sacrament too. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just very fascinating. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, cause I had an interesting thought while reading the article that you sent me, which is, um, I should probably link that in the comments cause it's a really good read. Well, um, we, we haven't really terrified. talked about the fact that this is what we're actually talking about is the way that this whole QAnon thing has leached its way into the Roman Catholic church. Right. Yeah. And it's, well, and, and, well, I mean, I guess it just makes sense if it leaked its way into evangelicalism, it's going to find itself in, in every other institution, right? Um, I can only imagine if it's like found its way into the military, right? I don't know if it has or not, but I'm um, sure some have, but, but yeah, the, I mean, the article you sent me that I read that kind of spirit this card, this, this topic is we're talking about how it's, it's leaked into the Catholic church and there are figureheads today. I learned about V drops, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. Uh, what's that guy's name? V- Vagano. Yeah. Something like that. Um, that, yeah, so like Catholics kind of have their own cue now too. Um, well, can we, can we really quickly just point out the irony of something yeah. with QAnon, right? Cause QAnon's whole like thing, right? Is that there are Satan worshiping pedophiles who eat children. Mm-hmm. That's that. And you know, that's, what's going on. So we have the Catholic church. <laughs> yeah. Kind of famously has a problem with one of those things. <laughs> right. <laughs> But these people are actually in support of the more traditional systems of the church that have enabled and celebrated, like not celebrated, enabled that kind of behavior to go on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, are you for real for right now? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. But you know what's interesting? It, it, it kind of reminds me of what's interesting is that these sort of Q followers or V followers, whatever, uh, you know, they actually bring that up a lot that Pope Francis is sort of facilitating the further exploitation of children and, you know, sexual abuse and covering it up and stuff. It, 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 revi- it reminds me of uh, how like Trump weaponized the Iraq war of being like, being like anti Iraq war. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that was the big screw up of the, like the Bush administration. And it was very Republican to be very pro war. Well, now, like now that now this new administration is like very anti-war, su- supposedly, right? Right, but with all their armed militia people running around, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it just it just reminds me of that how they're, they're sort of weaponizing that against Pope Francis, sort of the same way that you know Trump has sort of weaponized the anti-Iraq war rhetoric, right? Well, right, and Pope and Pope Francis is the Roman Catholic Church's Obama. Right. In the sense that here is somebody who's not part of the normal mold. Right. Which means yeah. he's brown. He's a brown man. <laughs> yeah. um, and yeah, he cares about the pores. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, my God. He's willing to let gay people be openly in relationship. Right. Um, he doesn't. He thinks that maybe maybe abortion isn't the absolute worst sin. <laughs> right. There, maybe right. there are bigger issues out there. Um. Yeah, it's it's sort of amazing to me, right? Like all of this that, but and and then terrifying, right? Because it becomes this whole like it goes even beyond like the anti popes thing of like Avignon back in, back in the like what like the sixteen hundreds or whatever when, mm-hmm. um, there were the three popes, and there was a crisis within the papacy around who was really the pope. Um, I, I'm not. I have no idea, dude. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not aware of sorry. this. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> these are just like the random things I know in my head, but. 
it's it's it, you know it's a it's a the idea that the idea that like as we see in it that someone like Donald Trump who is in no way shape or form catholic right yeah is somehow more catholic than pope francis yeah that's weird right but again and, it, it it's feeding yeah. into his ego because that that guy that this article was talking about this this Fagano guy was like it's like writing him letters right writing trump letters mm-hmm. telling him he's like the greatest ally to catholicism of course he's gonna right. be like yeah this is a great letter guys <laughs> i am the best thing to happen to the catholic church that's what he said right he's like i'm the yeah. best president uh in the catholic church's history or something right <clears throat> john F. kennedy yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um it's yeah and it's and it, again it's it's this it's this mentality around really what it comes down to is it's about the gods of your own choosing right and that's where you know this idea of idolatry comes into play where right. it's it's not about conforming yourself to a set of belief and practice beliefs and practices that challenge you on a daily basis mm-hmm. as an individual it's rather it's about embracing and following something that allows you to feel really good about yourself constantly Exactly. And that's what I really want to get to because yeah. I asked you if this sort of conspiratorial thinking, I don't know if it's from, from like a secular point of view. I can only comment it from like a, a Christian point of view is as if, if a, for a Christian to take or any religious person, I guess, to take, to take part in this sort of conspiratorial thinking, um, is that a form of idolatry? Well, so here I'll tell you what I, when I hear the phrase idolatry, here's what I think of. Okay, okay. All right. so so uh, there's an article from Relevant Magazine way back in the day. I can't remember who who what the author was, but she made a comment. She had, she had, she was Jewish, um, who had converted to Christianity, mm-hmm. and she talked about how her Judaism and her Christianity were really, um, you know, her Judaism really helped her with her Christianity, and she draws on both very deeply in her life, and it means a lot to her, and it's helped, you know, her the fact that she comes from a Semitic upbringing helps her understand the scriptures and all this kind of stuff. But she was talking about how, in the Semitic mind, the greatest of all sins is idolatry, right? And you look at the Ten Commandments, right? That's the first sort of commandment, right? It's like, you know, you have no other gods but me. You know, you shouldn't make any other gods, right? So like, it's all rooted in idolatry. But then she points out within the Christian tradition, particularly the Western Christian tradition, rooted in the teachings of St. Augustine of, of Hippo, Augustine says that the, the chief of all sins is pride. Well, she made this point of saying that pride and idolatry are actually the same thing. It's just that pride is making yourself the idol. And what I love about this interpretation is, I, you know, fast forward a few years after I read this article, and I'm in, I'm sitting in, um, I'm, I'm in seminary, and I'm sitting in a class with Rabbi, Joke, Rabbi uh, Jack Moline, who is a conservative rabbi, um, formerly in D.C. now in the Chicago area, and he, um, he was teaching classes on Judaism, and he tells us about how Jews understand the Garden of Eden story, mm-hmm. and how the Garden of Eden story is not about Satan showing up in the form of a snake and tempting Eve. That is, in fact, the snake's just a snake. Mm-hmm. Um, and the snake, because he's, because he's a snake and not a human, has never had the prohibition on eating the fruit. Only humans have been given the prohibition of eating the fruit. The snake is allowed to eat the fruit. And so when the snake talks to Eve, basically his whole approach to it is like, hey, this thing's no big deal. I don't know why you guys can't eat it. Like, 
It's no big deal. Like you're not going to die. I haven't died. You're not going to die. And and so because they have this conversation, Eve looks at it and she's like, oh yeah, okay, I mean, it's a pretty good point. And so she chooses to eat the fruit and then she gives it to Adam. That what 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 Rabbi Moline says is that in Judaism, then what happens there is the first act of idolatry because they choose to listen to the words of the serpent rather than the words of God, and therefore they put the serpent at a place equal to or above God, hmm. you know. And so, and then you can see how that feeds into the pride piece because it gives them what they want, right? Right? God wasn't giving them what they want. By the way, Rabbi Moline says that within Judaism and uh, the. And Eastern Christians also affirm this idea that the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil was something that God had always intended for humanity to, to, to eat from at some point. He wanted them to grow up and mature to a place to where they were able to handle it. The, the real problem is that they ate it ahead of time. But what I think I, what I ultimately see within evangelicals that have gravitated to this sort of stuff that we're talking about here is that it, it becomes a thing of expedience. You know, they're not getting what they want from Jesus as Jesus is presented. Yeah. And so they've you know, and then for I mean, for decades they've tried to foster a Jesus that affirms that worldview, but it hasn't really worked out. And so now they're actually just looking for a completely different savior. But they can't just outright embrace that. They have to still give it the Christian language in order to justify that move, right? So now they talk about this figure that they've that you know that is the polar opposite of you know it basically sort of represents everything that Jerry Falwell railed against back in the '80s, <laughs> and now they embrace him, and they 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 justify it so many times, right? Like, oh, he's like, he's like Cyrus. He's going to send us back home, right? <laughs> like he's an ally, you know, inspired by God and all this right, kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, so they use this biblical justific- justification in order to, 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 to be able to do it. But it, it, it's gradually being whittled away more and more and more to where now it's becoming sort of a like not a religious, but it's like they no longer feel the need to have to kind of dress it up in Christian language. Yeah. It's, you know, this is just, it now is its own thing. And therefore they have chosen, a, they have chosen another God. Right. Cornell West said that idolatry uh, leads to a spiritual poverty. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that is that like, when you worship an idol, like I'm kind of being sort of, you know, metaphorical here. When something, when you put something at the center, that's not, God or representative of like love and justice, peace, restoration, things like that. And it's mostly just yourself. You are kind of participating in a sort of spiritual poverty. You're, you're cutting yourself off, not just from the divine, but from people around you Mm -hmm. because spirituality itself is a connectedness. You're connected to the vine and you're also connected to the people you're to your, your humanity. Right. And well, and if you're God, nobody else can be God. So exactly. So, by participating in this idolatry, by, by, by expending this spirituality into nothingness, you're robbing yourself of that connectivity. And by, when you're doing that, you're making yourself more isolated, more alienated. When that happens, that's when it becomes self about self-preservation. You know, I see conspiratorial thinking as a way to be like, I'm just going to get mine. Well, and this this actually ties into the conversation we had around pocket preppers. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, preppers who you know they're they're hoarding all this stuff for themselves after the after the post apocalypse, not for their community, not for anyone but me and mine. Yeah, right. and that's and that's to me that that is a sign of spiritual poverty. I I don't see a spirituality in this kind of in this mindset that people are putting themselves in. 
I just see a way of like trying to just like survive. And, and that's, and that kind of, and that kind of bakes into, you know, the, the old, our old American tradition of individualism, which is mm-hmm. not inherently bad. I, I, I try to stress as much as possible because I don't want to be lectured individualism. I get it, <laughs> but it's just so hammered into our culture that it becomes like, you have to be, you have to sell out to that sort of mindset. Yeah. I, well, and it's interesting what you were saying. I mean, I haven't thought about it before, but like the idea of spiritual poverty, I, you know, I never thought about this connect, this idea that, that the opposite of that would be spiritual abundance. And that when you, when you define your life according to abundance, you don't feel the need to hoard, right? You don't feel the need to you don't have to worry about yourself because you feel there's abundant, there's abundance. There's, there's plenty to go around. Um, that's interesting, you know, and that's, I mean, that kind of fits in with like what Jesus says about this, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the spiritually poor. Right. Um, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, but it's a, but that's a, that's a kind of a different thing. Cause it's not like poor in spirit in that case is actually more along the lines of lines of like, you're devastated, like blessed are the devastated, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, cause once you meet, once you hit that point of devastation, like the kingdom of God is yours. Like once you have nothing else, once everything else has been taken away from you, that's because all of the other idols have been stripped away and now you are open to receive the thing that God is giving you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, this is the thing that I've been thinking about JP for pretty much ever since I went to seminary, ever since I became Episcopalian, I've been really, or before that, really, because I started to see this in my church growing up. You know, we, I grew up in a church that a lot of people had sort of put a lot of faith in the pastor and his personality dictated everything. And so I started to realize that and I, and I, I certainly became very suspicious of cults of personality. Right. And, and I had a hard time going to church for a really long time because, you know, everyone, you talk about the church and they'd be like, oh, I just love our pastor, love our pastor. And like, well, that's, that's always bothersome to me. You know, it's it's one thing when you sort of like, I love my pastor as well. You know, I love him, but you know, like I go to the church because of all these other things, right? But like, there are people who just go to church because of the pastor. And, you know, like I said, it's always kind of troubling to me. But like this whole conversation around idolatry has become a thing for me just constantly since since those times of trying to think about how often I, like what my proclivities are toward choosing a God that works for me Mm-hmm. rather than the challenge of conforming my life to what this God may want for me, right? right? Because on one hand, there's the, 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 the first piece of it is, is that who am I to assume that I, like, if, I've, if I'm made, right, if I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, to use the King James, then that would understand, it would mean that I have sort of like, there's a design to the kind of person that I am. There's an intention around the kind of person that I'm supposed to be. And if I'm not willing to sort of listen and discern someone giving me guidance on what that person is, which you can only find really through friendship and community and family. Right. Right. Because God speaks to those people. Mm -hmm. Um, if I don't do that, then I'm basically, you know, trying to write my own existence. Exactly. By doing that, I think it's just the more wise thing to do. Yeah. And, we, and, and wisdom in terms of, you know, community, family, it allows you, a, a wise person knows how to, like, improvise. They have that courage to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. and to be pliable and it's like it's okay to be wrong sometimes right like it's right to be wrong 
you know, we'll 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 catch it on the next note, as Cornell West put it in his uh, jazz metaphors. <laughs> uh, which I listened to a lot of jazz this week, by the way. Good, good for you. Um, and it's not a hipster thing, okay? They're they're black artists. I'm supporting black voices. Hey, man, black. The thing is, is <laughs> it's the most American form of music, right? Exactly. Totally, dude. I've got this whole thing about like. I've been for a long time wanting to write this book on like the on Episcopal Church, the Episcopal Church as being sort of like the vessel of American spirituality and talking about American spirituality and how American mm-hmm. spirituality is expressed through things like jazz. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's and, and <clears throat> I think that out that kind of ties into what we're talking about though, right? Like that kind of spirituality, like if if spirituality is a connectedness, then you have to. You have to, like I said, you have to have that courage to be uh, pliable with with your community and to be and not be afraid of being wrong. When I think of conspiratorial thinking, I think of like a rigidness. Well, the, the sort of the way I think about this is a metaphor that came to mind recently, and I've used this in sermons recently. Is somewhere along the way we forgot that Christianity was meant to be a way and not a war, hmm. right? Yeah. Be, make, when we think of it as a war, wars have to be won. There has to be victors. There has to be someone who's defeated. So that means when something new happens, you have to treat it as suspicion because it, it could be an insurgent. It could be, you know, it's a threat. Right. You know, new things are threats when you when you focus yourself on a war mentality. But when you think of it as a way, right? That's hiking. That that's that's what that's what Jesus is basically saying. When Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life," he's like, "I'm the path you hike." That's what he's saying. Like, I'm the path that you hike that leads to God. Like, that's what Jesus is saying when he makes that statement. It's not like a We've misinterpreted over the thing and be like, it's, it, he's not making a statement about right or wrong. Like, mm-hmm. he's not saying, like, either you follow me, you go to hell. Like, what he's saying is, like, oh, you want to get to God? Well, I, follow me. I'll show you. Like, that's what he's, <laughs> he's saying. Right. Um, invitational. Um, and so what he's, by the way, that idea of, like, you're walking a path. You're hiking a trail, right? So when you, when you think of it and you conceive of it as hiking, you have to be nimble and pliable because a new thing that comes, you either got, you got a choice. You either got to go around it. Or you got to learn to work with it. Mm-hmm. Or in some cases, maybe in order for the path to go forward, you have to hack at it until it goes away. But you learn to adapt. So like, right, so gay marriage shows up. And now you're like, oh, my God, ah, if it's a war, oh, it's an enemy. we gotta, we got to put them in their place. They can't be anywhere in here. Right. But if you're walking away, you're like, oh, you know, if you're walking a path, you're like, oh, okay, okay, here's this new thing. All right. Well, what do they want? Oh, well, they want marriage. Well, we already have marriage. Can, well, can what they do be incorporated into what we already said? Oh, it can? Okay, we can work with that, and we just bring it along with us, rather right. than rather than try to like you know stamp it out. Jazz is a beautiful example of, of of good American spirituality in the sense that it takes what has already been around, but offers it from a different perspective, right? So like it's you know it's this beautiful combination of all right, Europeans stole black people <laughs> and forced them. <laughs> into this paradigm of European life or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they're freed. And what do they do? Well, they take the European instruments that were forced on them and the European clothing that was forced on them, but they give a little twist, right? Mm-hmm. And it and it becomes, and you say it becomes, it becomes pliable. It becomes improvisational. It becomes, you know, more fluid rather than rigid. And how do people respond? Oh, it's decadence. Oh, they're breaking the rules. Oh, they're right. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were, you know, but that's, that's war mentality. Right. Way mentality is more the jazz thing. Like, oh, well, we can play with this. We can do new stuff with it. We incorporate it, right? Now we see that, you know, jazz is considered, you know, on par with classical music and its level of respect. And, you know, the, the way things are kind of going just with like our, our own media where there's like, um, 
you know, you watch, if you watch CNN or Fox News or whatever, how often is there like a breaking report, right? So it's like now you've kind of fostered a, a knee-jerk reaction to every new thing that happens. Like you have to have an instant opinion about it. You have to have an instant thought about it. Mm-hmm. It's not just like – it's one of the reasons why I stopped watching it. Um, because I've sort of developed this thing where it's like if something new comes up, I don't I, I don't feel like I have to have a knee-jerk reaction to it. I just kind of like either ignore it and just kind of wait to see what happens or like, oh, I'll think about it. Well, can I – it gets me thinking that – and it gets me thinking about – you know, I since I've since I've not really been participating in social media on a regular basis mm-hmm. for five or six weeks now right. or more, I was I, I realized I feel more confident in my own opinions and thoughts. Interesting. Because I feel like I was so conditioned to like think like like I I could watch a movie and what was the first thing I want to do? I wanted to go on birth, birth movies death and read the review because I want to see what other people thought about it because that like sort of helped me understand like how I'm supposed to think about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, I want to I want to think about it rightly rather than wrongly or whatever. Right. But now, like, I can watch a movie or participate in something and I like and I have my thoughts and my opinions and I'm like, yeah, I don't feel the need to have to share that. But like, this is how I feel about it. And that's like, OK, and move on. Right. Like maybe I'll journal it if I want to, like, get it down somewhere to kind of help crystallize it. Right. Um, you know, but I but I wonder going back to the conspiracy thing. Right. Because this is an online social media movement. How much of it is rated on this idea of people who are like somewhat insecure in their own convictions and beliefs. And so now, but they're also of an entire generation that have grown up thinking that all of their thinking has to be done through comment sections. That too. And, you know, and so what that does to, to, to people in terms of their, their attitude. Yeah. There's that. And there's also a, an added aspect of uh, media literacy. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember, you know, (laughs) Uh, friend of the podcast, Amanda, who came on to talk about her short film. We need her back on, by the way. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, she, uh, <laughs> when Stella Emanuel released her, had her little press conference, um, she noted, like, look at their lab coats. Like, they've never worn those before. You could see, you could see all, like, the folded creases in them and stuff. And even the <laughs> microphones, like, they don't belong to any news station. They're just microphones standing there. Yeah. So it's like, they're taking advantage of like people who kind of believe this stuff don't like, don't know how to differentiate between like something like that and like a Fox news press release or something. It's like, as, as long as they have like the, the usual things that kind of make it sort of vaguely resemble something, it's like, Oh, this is official news. I can believe every word that comes out of it. So there's, there's a, there's a literacy involved as well. Um, and part of it, but I also, I, but I do want to talk about the faith aspect of it though, because I do think that so much of it comes from fear. Mm-hmm. That is, I think, comes from just uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to say like a lack of faith because I don't want to make people feel like, you know, you, this happens to you because you have no faith. But at the same time, like maybe, I don't know, we, there should be there are important conversations about like what's happening and also bad faith. Jesus has taken a while to get back. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> That's the, like that's the thing about this this Christians kind of our evolution of apocalypticism in the Christian faith was this idea that you know Jesus is like I'm coming back and the first Christians were like all right well so it'll it'll happen, and then they start dying and they're like oh he, it's not happening within our lifetime, mm-hmm. it's going to be a while and so then as it got longer and longer Christians started to interpret you know these ideas a little bit more vaguely and to say that you know 
it'll happen someday, right? We don't know when, but it'll happen someday, right? right? And so we have to, but we have to live our lives though it could happen any minute. Like that's really where the impetus is. And, you know, after a while, right? Like, you know, there's a certain impatient personality that's like, ah, like, I don't, I don't want to wait for that. I don't want to wait for the final judgment. I kind of want to make it happen, mm-hmm. you know? And so now I'm going to participate in something, right? So that, that gets to the kind of thing you're talking about faith, right? Because faith, right, is, 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 is the book of Hebrews says, you know, is the assurance of things hoped for, you know, the evidence of things not seen, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's frustrating and vague because you want to see it. You want to put your hands on it. You don't want it to, you want, you want something concrete, right? Right. And, you know, the eschaton, the return of Jesus right now, not concrete. It's someday. It's not concrete. But watching Democrats get like punished because you disagree with them, that's concrete. Yeah. That's part of it too. But like I I'm I, I think we're definitely looking at something that is and I'm not we're not the first to observe this, but there's something that very much has taken on the character of religious theological thinking. Definitely. Because I don't know I don't know if spirituality is the right word, but theology is definitely a word for this. A dogmatism. Uh, and dogmatism, right? Yeah. yeah. And, oh, and that's the other thing. Dogmatism, right? That, I mean, that's that's been a problem in the church for a long time, too. You know, and dogmatism is, again, it, it's rooted in that idea of being right and winning, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you think about, you know, Copernicus. It doesn't orbit around us. We actually orbit around the sun. Right. But that war mentality, that imperialistic war mentality of the church does not, is not willing to accommodate that. Right. And, you know, but others could look at that and be like, huh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. And what's funny, gosh, I, I didn't even, I don't think I, I didn't, I didn't tell you about, um, like how there are still geocentrists out there. And, well, there's flat earthers. Yeah. Flat earthers and geocentrists still kind of exist and they're all kind Which of, Which is all part of this, of this too, right? I yeah, mean, it's all... it is. I feel so like alarmist when I say it, but I still feel like, I think it's happening. I think this election has, has torn off a piece, a very large piece of the Republican party and mm-hmm. just sort of the lockstep nature of the, of the conservative wing of our politics, I think is starting to be, is going to become more splintered because of this. And because of Trump, the more religious side, whether it's Catholicism, evangelicalism, any other denomination, I think they're going to see that their usefulness has, has, has worn out mm-hmm. and vice versa, even perhaps. And to make up for that, that sort of, you know, sp- spiritual side will be this sort of conspiratorial thinking. Yeah. And it's going to be a, a much more rabid uh, section of the party, a scarier one. <laughs> um, so basically, the future, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, folks. Uh, you know, we just got to submit another application for to the Galactic Federation and... <laughs> I'll put in a good word for you guys. That's that's right, because you're buddies with them. Yeah, uh, they rejected my application, uh, but you know what? It's all about getting the foot in the door, right? They know that's who right. I am now. <laughs> Seen my face. face. They recognize yeah. the face. Yeah, it's, 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 it's all about that FaceTime. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, this is you know, it's an interesting conversation to have. Obviously, we have no solutions. Yeah. Other than <laughs> just other listen than... to the podcast, they'll be fine. How I got out of being so taken by conspiratorial thinking it was asking the sorts of questions around what is this accomplishing? What is the goal? You know, is it tenable? Right? Like, could it even work mechanically? Like, you know, like all of that. 
And I think these are the important things that we all have to ask ourselves regularly. We have to take that self-examination piece. You know, give it the sniff test. Does it, does it even make sense? Is it grounded in reality? I would say identify your sacred cows. Mm-hmm. If you have a sacred cow, you kind of need to really kind of like poke at that cow a little bit. Yeah. And find out why it's a sacred cow. And, you know, if someone comes along and manages to kill that sacred cow, what would happen? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great book called Body Piercing Saved My Life. It's a book that every time I've lent out to somebody, they've stolen it. Um, but it's about the history of Christian rock by a non-Christian. And he has this great bit where he interviews David Bazan of Page of the Lion. Um, this guy who has a very complicated relationship with evangelical Christianity. And he was at this music contemporary Christian music conference uh, many, many years ago, early 2000s. He told this group of seminary students, you know that scholars are like pretty much split on whether or not King David even existed. Hmm. And these seminary experience were like, seminary students were like, they, their hackles got raised. And they were like, well, then why would the Bible include him? Right. Like, if he didn't exist, isn't it all a lie? Doesn't the whole thing fall apart? And he said, well, that's the question you have to ask yourself. If King David didn't exist, does that affect your faith? Does that affect... And and I think, like, that's the kind of stuff that we have to be willing to really ask those tough questions of our beliefs, right? What if the election actually was not stolen? What if, after multiple manual recounts that proved that the Dominion voting systems machines were not spitting out false positives for for Biden or whatever, like, what if the actual media narrative that has been presented to us about it is actually true. Yeah. You know, what if, how does that make you feel? Right. You know, those are the kinds of things I think you have to ask. And I'm, I'm directing this to any, any person who stumbles upon this episode, you know, I, I would be willing to bet if you're like a, if you're a QAnon true believer, you've either, you probably already turned off the podcast. <laughs> um, or you're already on your way to my house. Uh, yeah. Hard to get to my house though. Um, <laughs> yeah. But if you're still listening, then you're asking questions. I'm willing to bet somewhere in the back of your mind you're asking questions. And it may be months from now that you come to a different conclusion, but you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. The world will not end. It turns out a lot of it is way more boring than we really want it to be. We don't need all this stuff in order for the world to be exciting. It's just a, just a, a very lazy attempt at trying to make voting more exciting than paying your bills yep or doing jury duty why can't we sensationalize that <laughs> oh i will go on about jury duty okay let's take it right now compulsory compulsory well two things compulsory service is not a marker of a free society i'm going to say that right now on the record the other one is is that um studies have shown that the American jury selection process is inherently unjust. Yeah. Because most people just sort of defer to whoever they think is the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. Buy it. And like every time I've ever like been asked to serve on jury duty, like l- luckily they don't make me, they tend to not make me serve on juries because nobody wants a priest and it's really hard. And I, I'm upfront. I can't be unbiased. Not that anybody can be unbiased. It's another philosophical problem with jury duty. <laughs> but is, uh, I, I, you know, I've looked around the room at the people that are serving the jury and I'm like, golly, like mm-hmm. I don't like, I don't want the dude who pulls like evening shifts at the subway to be the person who determines whether or not I go to jail. <laughs> like, 
no offense to the guy, but like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, well, there's there's a lot of manipulation going on there, man. That, that that's you talk to Matt Australia about that. Australia has it figured out. Australia has it figured out in a lot of ways, actually. <laughs> what is it? Their like election, their prime minister election cycle is only allowed to be like six weeks tops, and they can only spend like no more than like a hundred thousand dollars or something on campaigning. Oh yeah. yeah. And on t- and then their jury sl- their jury their their their, their judicial process involves every trial is a, is a judge based trial, but you have two independent judges that independently review the case and every every uh every uh verdict is automatically um appealable listen i don't have to take this anti-american you know railing against our system of government which is all on a foundation of christ uh i don't have to (laughs) yeah that was so that that and this is the other here's and you know thing. maybe if we allowed the ten commandments in courtrooms chuck like there wouldn't be so much corruption you ever think about that probably yeah i mean as a christian here's the other thing this is the thing i preach a lot your allegiance is to jesus christ is no respect you know christ does not fly any flag <laughs> you know the, the church building is the embassy of heaven it's not yeah. a place for nationalistic displays right. um you know we are citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world and, it's, it's, and if you call yourself Christian, the sooner you're going to bore with that, the happier you're going to be. Um, but, um, but yeah, like, okay, so you feel that there's certain, you know, you, the world, you feel the, the world's too boring and you need conspiracies to be out there to give you your identity and give you your spirituality. You know, it's way more exciting, way more exciting and beautiful than reading about conspiracy theories on the internet. Like, listening to podcasts. If, that and listen to a podcast, yeah. uh, our podcast, not, not not those podcasts. Yeah. But the other is uh, like, you ever watch you ever watch a bird build a nest? <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Hey, woodworking is fun. Woodworking is amazing. And YouTube videos about woodworking is also fun. Oh gosh, I used to, my Instagram account was so full of like wood turners, like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> Get a lathe. You could tell we're pushing forty. We're gonna be the woodcraft awesome. guys. Yeah. Pushing forty is awesome. Father Chuck, it's it's uh it's good to have you back. Sir. It's good to have you back. It's good Thank to you. be back. Yeah. We're, of course, going to be taking, like, another break. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, we we definitely, this this might be our only episode uh, until 2021. Yep. Because uh, the holidays are coming up, and I know Chuck will be busy. Matt will probably also be busy. I know I am. Um, but uh, we hope you enjoyed this uh, one episode, just to let you know that, A, we're here, and B... Uh, listen, there's 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 some normal 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 people out there, normal thinking people. You know, things are really insane, but uh, listen, hang tight. All right, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you again next time. Have a wonderful holiday. Yep. Maka. Uh, what he said. <laughs> Good journey. Good journey. <laughs>